And at least to this point, that's the end of the journey, right? And we'll keep on going. But uh, how significant the beginning was. And I didn't say this regarding Barb, but I think it's true. that the, I, I don't know anybody who's been able to lead a worship ministry through the transition that Barb Yonchar did. I just don't know anybody who has done that and has been willing to uh, be flexible and open and change again because of the significance of the, the ministry that, um, uh, and the passion for the ministry that, uh, that, that she had. So again, we're blessed. I want to um, today talk again about biblical hospitality. I did that a couple of weeks ago, and we focused in, in the Old Testament particularly, although the teaching is so clear in the New as well. And we talked about the difference between entertainment, which is what we often think of in, in, in terms of hospitality today in North America, and what true biblical hospitality is. And what that is, of course, if you weren't here, it's catch-up time. If you were here, it's reminding time. But what biblical hospitality is, is caring for the foreigner, the stranger, or the alien. Those are the three words that the Old Testament uses primarily to identify these folks who are very different than us. And when they come among us, when they're not part of their ethnic grouping, when they're not part of their clan, as was the case in, in the time of the Israelites uh, so long ago, the, the people of God were commanded by God to love them as your own. Uh, and it's almost Jesus quoting Leviticus 19 when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's very similar words <laughs> where the Israelites were told to love these people as yourself. And, and these people, by definition, are different than, than uh, the Israelites. They were, and they're different than us. They're people who come among us and who are in real significant need. Almost desperate need is the best way to define it sometimes even in danger. And God said to his people, love them like I love them. Take care of them. Provide for them. Be good to them. Love them. Um, and as I said earlier, I'm just very, very thankful that the people of God here today heard the message and said, yeah, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to participate in that and to share in that ministry. What I want to do today is to take that same basic idea and apply it in a way that's what I'm going to call a little closer to home. You know, we can, we can do this for a refugee family that we don't know where this family is going to come from, and we've said that repeatedly. It could be Syria. It could be, uh, it could be anywhere in the world. We're, we don't get that choice. We just are given a family, and wherever they come from, we'll love them because they're in great need, and we're going to love them with the love of God, and we're going to treat them as well as we treat ourselves, right? Yep. <laughs> but how do you do that a little more close to home? Uh, how do you do that on an ongoing and a regular basis? That's going to be our focus today. What I want to do is to take you to a passage in Romans, Romans chapter 12, and talk to you about it. And I want to explain the context just as we begin. Romans chapter 1 to 11 is the first section of Romans, and Romans chapter 12 to, I believe, 15 or 16 is the rest of the book. And in, Romans, in the first half of Romans, it's basically very th theological. It's probably the most heady portion of Scripture that is given to us. And in this, this text, you know, we're given good stuff about what it means to be in Christ. In the second part of the, of, of the book of Romans, it takes the, the, the content that's been provided up front, and it says, now that you know these things, this is how you are to live. It's how to play it out. It's how to live as the people of God, having been blessed. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it's a well-known verse, says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, it's like, Considering everything I've just said, the Apostle Paul writes, because of everything I've just said, present, and in view of God's mercy, do this. 
Well, in view of God's mercy, what is the message? The message of the first part of Romans is basically this, that God has come in Christ, and because of his death and resurrection, we are now able to stand in the righteousness of Jesus. We have been taken from, from death and given life. You know, the, that, that famous little verse talks about, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's an incredible reality. And Paul's saying, essentially, you've been given this eternal life. You've been given righteousness of Jesus. You've been grafted into the people of God, the Israelites, so that now, too, my salvation is for you, not just for one ethnic grouping and, and faith grouping. It's an incredible first half. And, and in Romans ch chapter 12, as I say, we jump into the application about how it is we are to leave. I'm going to read to you Romans 12, verses 9 to 19. And I want you to listen to the teaching on hospitality that is just contained therein. So let's read that now. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Wow, that one itself would change a life, wouldn't it? Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I hope that's you. Fervor, zeal in your life. For serving Christ. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I wanted to read that whole passage to you because it's chocked full with instructions about how to live. This is, this is what's to define us as the people of God. This is, this is what's to characterize us. We're to take hold of all of these things. And right in the middle of that passage, there are these two little words, and we'll have them projected again. Practice hospitality. Now, I don't know how that speaks to you, but some months ago when I was preparing, those words hit me like a ton of bricks. It's not understand hospitality. It's not understand the theory and, and kind of dig, in, dig into the consequences. It's saying practice hospitality. Make it a part of your life. Make it real. Do it all the time. Now, if we're going to practice hospitality all the time, if we're going to do it close to home, we need to ask the question, who then is the alien among us? Who is the stranger? Who, who is the foreigner among us? Um... I want to tell you this, essentially, as we've defined it previously, what we have to do in defining who it is we would exercise hospitality or offer hospitality to is to those people who are, number one, unlike us, and number two, who are in dire need. Who are they? Who are they? Um, let, me, let me suggest that the reality, number one, is those who are unlike us, the, the, the people who are unlike us, they, that depends on who we are. And if we will first and foremost define ourselves as the people of Jesus, then the people who are unlike us, the foreigner, the alien, or the stranger, they are the people who are not followers of Jesus. Seems kind of straightforward, doesn't it? If we gather together and, and, and our first definition of self is I am his and we are his, 
then those who are not part of our clan, to use the words of, of uh, you know, the Old Testament, are those who are not part of this clan, this grouping of people. The, they are those people who do not share faith in Christ. But are they in dire need? Are they even at that point of living in danger? What do you think? I want to suggest to you today that Scripture says, and through the perspective of God, the answer is yes. Spiritually, they're in danger. The Bible is absolutely clear in this, that people without Christ... Are, 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 are in great need. John 3, Jesus is a scribe and he says, I didn't come to judge the world. That has already taken place. And that those who are without Christ, without his love and his forgiveness, without having been given that righteous standing in the eyes of God, they are in tremendous need because they are under the judgment of God. And that they are without hope for eternal life until they find faith in the person of Jesus. And thus their need is huge. Now let me just ask you, is that how you view people who are in your life? These folks are represented in the Bible over and over and over again. Think of the prodigal son, the one who was at a distance from his father, the one who had wronged his father, the one who ended up feeding pigs and was down and out and struggling in an incredible difficulty. <laughs> Think of Zacchaeus, a man whose life had been consumed with greed. Think of the woman at the well who, who was living a life that was just a broken, miserable uh, tragic existence. <laughs> These people were far from God and Christ moved into their lives and he took hold of them and he united them and, and reconciled them again to the Father. Beautiful things both in terms of story and in terms of reality. On top of these people being in need spiritually because they are far from God and under his judgment, what the Bible says too and what we see in life is that they are without the guidance and the wisdom and the blessing of God and so often the wisdom of God through his word, so often their lives really struggle because of it. The prodigal son, it's a story of the life of a human being without the Lord. Struggle. You know, we think of Zacchaeus, and I've said his life was caught up in greed and a desire for more. In spite of what it might have done in terms of hurting other people, he didn't care. His heart wasn't right. Think of the woman at the well. I mean, as she lived that life, and she was with, I think, the seventh man, and it wasn't even married to her anymore, Jesus said. What he's describing here is a woman who was being used by man and a woman who could not somehow sustain a lasting, loving relationship. Her life was broken. And thus, they were in tremendous need for God. And I think about today, and I think about a week ago, Friday night, when another teen in our county took their lives. That being the fourth, I believe, in, in a six or eight week period. Can I ask this question? What's going on in our world where teens are so troubled and so distraught and so living without hope that their solution to their, their life's predicament is suicide? These kids needed Jesus to give them hope. <laughs> you know, you look at this world, and I'm not going to connect suicide at all with, with, with marriage failure or family breakdown. I don't want that to be the message, but marriages are failing and families are breaking down tremendously, and it's creating havoc in people's lives. Um, people are struggling in our society uh, with tremendous emotional need. The percentage of people medicated for depression in our culture is huge for anxiety, uh, for fears that's going on. And so often they, they, they use substances, drugs or alcohol in order to dull the pain and they, they trip into addiction and their lives are just... It's, it, it's, it's incredibly sad what's going on in our world. And so many lives. And I want to say, it's not that the people of God don't struggle. 
I struggle, you struggle. We all struggle. And my friends, we at least have Christ with us, and we have the hope that he brings to us. And we have the resource of Scripture, and we have the resource of, of the family of God, the church. So yeah, I want to suggest to you the need is great, and it surrounds us. And it is as the people of God that we are called to practice hospitality, to practice it. To those who are not part of our clan, if you would, not part of our crowd, those who are pretty different to us, and, and to do so in a way that's common in our lives, to do it often, to make it part of our lives. And I want to present a couple of ways this morning that we can do this, some really practical things that, that we can go home and put into, into practice, if you would, in terms of what it means to live in obedience to this, this reality. Number one, we can open our homes to people, and we can welcome them into our lives uh, to, 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 to meet their needs and to introduce them in so doing to the reality of God. You ever think of hospitality in that? You know, I was at a seminar this past Tuesday, and it's something I'm blessed to do on occasion, conferences, seminars. And the speaker was Mark Buchanan. Some of you, some of you might have read his books, um, Your Church is Too Safe and, and, and you know, Your God is Too Safe and, and so forth. He's just a tremendous Canadian author, which is really cool that he is Canadian. And as part of his presentation, and, and the presentation wasn't about hospitality, but he, he basically said this. He said, you know, this is how we do hospitality in North America. See if you can resonate with, with what he said. What we do uh, when we think of hospitality is we call up a friend and say, hey, how would you like to come over for dinner in three weeks? Oh, three weeks won't do. How about four weeks in this particular night? Okay, that's the night. Put it in your book. We'll put it in ours. We'll see you then. What time do you want us to come? Well, how about coming about 5.30? And Buchanan said, what we really mean is don't come at 5 and don't come at 6. You could arrive between 5.20 and, say, 5.40, but that's, that's it, you know. Don't come too early, don't come too late. That's when we expect you to come. And then they say, well, can we bring any food? And you say, no, no, no we'll take care of it. But what you really mean is, you're not going to bring food. You better bring flowers or something to drink. <laughs> yeah, now you're beginning to get it, aren't you? Yeah. This is the way it works. <laughs> it's okay. This is the way it works. <clears throat> and, and, you know, uh, the, 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 the day comes, and then we clean our houses so that they're perfect as if that's how we always live, right? And we invite people into our homes and we show them this picture of, you know, perfection and serenity when it's not usually that way. And there's an assumption when they arrive at 527 or 532, and that is that you better be gone by 10. <laughs> and if, you, if you're not gone by 10, the hosts start to yawn or make comments to let you know it's time to go. And what we do when we're exercising what we think of as hospitality is that we basically invite people from our own tribe. We invite people who generally who are like us and who we enjoy being with and we want to share that time with. My friends, I want to tell you that is not biblical hospitality. That is North American entertaining. It's cultural it's not an awful thing. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying it's not biblical hospitality. And that is primarily because, you know, we're opening our homes to people like us and defining it in a very narrow and, 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 and if you would, unreal way. Biblical hospitality is opening our homes and our lives to people who are unlike, unlike us. It is, it is people opening our homes to people who are in great need 
so that they can come into our homes and discover the love and the reality of God. See, here's the point of this morning. When people enter into our homes in such a fashion, we invite them into an experience of the kingdom of God. We invite them into a, into a, a place and among a people for whom Christ is king. Christ is king, and where these people, not in perfection, but where we at least seek to live according to the way of Jesus, the way of love and of grace and of peace and of joy and of goodness in him. You see it? And I want to tell you, when people who are not of our tribe and who don't think like us and who don't tend to live with us, when they come among us, they're going to see and experience something very different because it's the kingdom of God being played out before them. But it's something that they will find incredibly good. And as we share not ourselves, but our self with them, you know, we don't barrage them with faith. We don't witness to them and hit them in the head with Bible verses and tell them they're under judgment and they need to accept Jesus. What we do is we share, as we share who we are, they start to discover and experience the reality of our faith and the God whom we believe in. And we pray at a meal and we talk about our lives and we demonstrate the love of Christ. And they get to see, if you would, how a Christ-like husband treats his wife. And they get to see how a Christ-like wife treats her husband. They get to encounter the reality of, of being exposed to the values of the kingdom versus the values of the world. And it'll strike them profoundly because of who we are. And we get to share our hearts with them. And show them grace even to, to, to these guests who are in our home. My friends, sooner or later such people as we open our homes and our lives and our hearts to them will want to know more about what's at the heart of our lives. And when they are ready to hear, then we can share our faith in Jesus and what he means to us. And I want to tell you that sequence is incredibly important in our culture. Historically, we're just telling people what they should believe before they're ready or even willing to hear it. see, so many people in the church today are afraid of evangelism. It's intimidating. It's scary. They want nothing to do with it. I want to tell you, <laughs> it's as easy as opening our homes to people and offering them a meal and our friendship. But it requires intentionality because otherwise we will likely end up only inviting people who are of our tribe, who are like us, and who already know Christ. So I would suggest to you, my friends, a powerful means of building the kingdom of God is within grasp. If we'll be intentional in acting, in practicing hospitality. Second way we might do this, again, as the people of God, uh, is to welcome people or invite them here and receive them here on a Sunday morning. Um... We can offer real biblical hospitality to people because when they come into this place, they too, we hope and we pray, and we do pray to the, with sincerity and with passion that they will encounter the kingdom of God among us. Among us. Because here is a place and here is a people for whom Christ is king and where the values of Jesus, his way, his truth, they are not only talked about, they are made real. We live it, Right? Not perfectly, but we try to live it. Here God's love is made real. Here God is made real. 
Again, I'm not, not talking about being a friendly church. <laughs> By the way, every church thinks it's friendly. And if every church I've ever visited, oh yeah, we're a friendly church. Most people are a bit deluded when it comes to that. But we'll be a loving church, a Christ-present church, a grace-oriented church, a joyful church, a generous church. Will we invite anyone who will walk in these doors and love them in the name of Jesus? And will we give ourselves with intentionality to meet their needs? That's biblical hospitality. <clears throat> I want to tell you that what I'm describing to you is written into what we now call the DNA of IPC. Part of the culture that has been formed here. Years ago, and you can reflect on Bill Chesney and Barbie Anchar as being part of this journey, we realized, at least from our perception, that the traditional way of doing worship was foreign to those in our culture. It didn't make sense to them anymore. They'd come among us, but they didn't understand, they couldn't grasp, they couldn't get it, if you would, the power of the message of Jesus. So what we decided to do was to change the way we did worship. We decided to meet them where they were at, to love them, to make them priority, and to serve their needs with an intentionality. And we began to change how we did worship. Casual dress, myself included. Anybody remember the blue gown? One. Hangs in my closet. Oh, here's some more. Oh, yeah, over here, good stuff. You know, the, the, the clerical gown, which is part of our tradition. Um, we, we moved from... Uh, Hundred year, hundreds of years old style and form of music to something far more familiar in this culture. Instrumentation included relevant preaching so that scripture would come alive to them. We discovered if you said the Bible says this, people would go, so what? No relevance to my life, just another holy book just from another religion. But if you take the Bible and, and you let them know of the truth of God and the love of God that flows through the instruction of God, all of a sudden they go, wow, this book's got something to say to my life. And sooner or later they end up believing it's true and of God. Vocabulary with songs and with preaching that is not obscure, but words used which are understandable to the people of our culture and thus can have a impact and power in, the, in people's lives. And I want to tell you, for these people, we change the way we express the unchanging truth of Christ. You get that? The way we communicated it changed. What we communicated did not. What, what we talk about here, what we believe in here is 2,000 years old and older. But the way we communicated was for those people who would come among us so that they could hear it, understand it, and ultimately come to believe it. You know, we added drama and we added projection, all normal in this culture and effective in speaking to people. We've built an integration process and we've formed hospitality teams and welcome teams and coffee-making teams. And why? So that people could come among us and know the love of God in this place. Many people, and I don't know how many, I wish I had counted, but I'd say, I can't say, I have no idea over the, the, the number of years I've been here, but they've literally said, I walked into this place, into this building, and the old one too, and they said, we knew there was something different here. What was different? Can I, can I suggest it's God? They couldn't put their finger on it. They couldn't identify it. They couldn't speak to it. But they encountered something here of the kingdom, of the presence of our Lord Jesus among us as we gathered together as his, as his people. My friends, as we invite people among us, 
They get to encounter the kingdom. They get to encounter the spirit, the reality, the goodness, the love, the presence of God. <laughs> and what it all boils down to was us deciding to serve the needs of people who are not part of our clan. I don't know if you, uh, is Brett Andrews here? He might come to the second service. I, meant, I always ask people about using them as an illustration before I do, but I forgot to ask Brett. So don't tell him, okay? I'll ask him before the next service. I don't know how many of you have Brett Andrews in your home, but a long time ago we invited Brett and Joanne into our home, and we discovered something very important about Brett Andrews. By the way, a, a worker for Youth for Christ, a, a, someone we support on a monthly basis as a church. He was an elder for many years in our congregation. We've been blessed by him. He speaks here, spoke a month or so ago. Great guy. We all love him, right? Here's what I learned about Brett Andrews. He hates broccoli. You know what he says about broccoli? It tastes like death. <laughs> now, I don't know how broccoli tastes like death to anybody, but to him, it does. I hate cilantro. You know, I'm one of those people who has this gene. Have you heard about this? And everybody else loves cilantro, and I hate go, ah, it's awful. I can't understand how anybody likes cilantro. It tastes like soap and toothpaste mixed together somehow. <laughs> I hate this stuff, so I get it in that sense. So anyway, Brett hates, uh, you know, broccoli. So from that point on, whenever we invited Jeff, uh, Brett and Joanne into our home, we would not serve broccoli. Why? Because we wanted to serve him, serve his needs, love him. Let me ask this. How many people would come back to a home which kept serving to those people food that they knew, we knew, they hated? Not very many. See, my friends, the reality is, as the people of God, we have given ourselves, in terms of biblical uh, hospitality, to loving people who are not part of us, and we have formed ourselves in such a fashion that you can bring, that they might walk in to an environment where they encounter the reality and the power and the love and the goodness of Jesus. Awesome thing. That's why, for example, we don't, we don't encourage... We don't encourage some of the more outward gifts of the Spirit, more of those, some of those sign gifts, which are valid gifts, but like 1 Corinthians 14 says, and you can look it up if you want uh, later on, you know, for example, if people are speaking in tongues among you, what did Paul say? He, he says, they'll think you're out of your mind. Look it up, it's there. We kind of discourage that on a Sunday. And a lot of other more outward expressions of the gifts of the Spirit also. We just say there's a place for it, there's a time for it, but we as a church, we're called to do this thing so that people can come among us and feel comfortable and feel like they're in a normal place, a safe place where they can just sit and listen and hear about and encounter Christ. My friends, it, it all comes down to this idea of how can we serve people when they are here? Let me give you some illustrations. Where'd you park this morning? Chances are, you were pretty determined to find the closest parking space to the front door. And some of you are really intent about this. I bet you some of you even prayed about this. God, give me that close parking spot. The most natural human thing in the world is to get that ideal spot so you don't have to walk very far. How about this idea? Yeah, you know, the, those of you who are la laughing the loudest, I got you. I know what you're talking about. Linda, you know, Robin, you know. How about this idea that instead of trying to get to the closest available spot, you leave that for our elderly folks, of course, 
and for the guests who will come among us to honor them, to serve their needs, to love them. And you go and find the farthest spot away. What about the idea of rather than filling up the back rows in the auditorium on a Sunday morning, you leave those back rows for people who... Oh, yeah, the front row crowd loves that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's because you're front row people. Maybe someday I'll ask you to sit at the back. I don't know. But, you know, why not leave those spaces at the back for people who are going to come among us? Remember, it's a scary thing to go to church for the first time, especially if you're not familiar with church. But even if you are, it's still scary. And sometimes, maybe more in the second service than the first, they have to make the long trek to the front because that's where the available seats are. Like, love them, serve their interests, care for them. You know, I don't know what it's like in the women's bathroom. But I know what it's like in the men's bathroom. And sometimes I'll walk in there and I'll say, why is that funny? <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't know. But let me finish. I'll walk into the men's bathroom on a Sunday morning, and it's really messy. There's paper towel on the floor. Somebody's missed the garbage pail more than once. There's a lot of water on the counter. You know, it's, it's messy. And you know what I do? Number one, I think, for folks to come among us and see this would not be good. Do you clean your house before you have folks in? Do you want to honor them in that way? Well, you do. So I get some paper towel, and I clean it up, and I put the garbage, take, take it off the floor, and I put it in the garbage pail, because I want people to come among us and feel honored and loved. And I want them to know that we care for this place of ours that we've, we have become stewards of. That's why I'm so thankful for our property committee. Just doing a fantastic job, I hope you've noticed, of caring for our building because people will look at our building and they will, they will make assumptions about what they see in our building about what we believe about God. Did you know that? So way to go, people on property committee. Way to go, people who clean the bathrooms. Does the women's bathroom ever need cleaned? Uh, uh, some heads are nodding in shame. You, know. you see what we can do? We, you see, what we have to do is be aware of and serve out of love. You know, sometimes, uh, I, I kind of refer to this a little bit in, in my thank you to Barb, sometimes people think uh, the music here is a little too loud. Or they think sometimes we don't sing enough hymns. And I, I'm not saying that there isn't some validity in their comments, but you know, you know what I'm afraid of? That their assumption is that the, we design this service just for churched people. We don't. There are people who were here when I came to this church who loved the traditional form of worship. But they were willing to sacrifice their pre preference in worship in order to see the kingdom of God come in power. And I have a deep admiration for those people. Because they could have just taken the axe and chopped off the progression and said enough. But they gave up of, of their own interests and desires in order to love the alien, the foreigner, and the stranger. It's not about us, my friends. It's okay when you first come here. It's okay to say, hey, will this church meet my needs? I get that. You've got to find a place that works for you. But after you're here and after you grow up in Christ, you know what? It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus and his kingdom and his cause. One more. You know, we'll go and I'll have coffee in a little while. You know what I'm doing? When I'm out there, I'm looking for somebody standing on his or her own. Because to me, that's the one rule at IPC that cannot be broken. You cannot leave somebody standing their own, on their own during coffee time. And as soon as I am able, 
either if, if, I, if I'm not in a conversation, I'll go straight over, or if I'm in a conversation when it's appropriate and loving, I'll break away and I'll get there. Especially if those people are new, because I want them to know they are loved. I had a conversation with a gentleman a month and a half ago, two months ago, who said, you know, my, when my wife and I first came here, um, during coffee time, uh, we were left to stand on our own for a couple of months. No one approached us. Dagger in the heart, IPC. Disaster. The last thing I want to hear, the last thing, <laughs> the last thing we can allow here, because if people come among us, we must serve their needs and love them. You know what we're doing? Usually, when we're leaving people to stand on their own, we're hanging out with our crowd, our clan. We're going to the people likely who are in our life groups in order that we might enjoy their presence, in order that our needs might be met. Can I say this to you? Enjoy your life group in your life group. And if you have opportunity to enjoy them here, fantastic. But never put that above loving the stranger, the alien, or the foreigner among us. Deny your own desire in order to be like Jesus and to welcome and to love some folks who have come among us. My friends, two little words. Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 13. Practice hospitality. Do it. Weave it into the fabric of life, the text is saying. Love people that they might come to know me. Hospitality, when truly understood and truly Practiced is a powerful means of building the kingdom of God. Loving people who are in dire need and who are different than us, if we will do it, God will use it. So let's do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this, this book <laughs> filled with the truth of God through which you speak powerful ways and you challenge and you, 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 you turn our lives upside down and you cause us to think differently and live differently as we enter in more fully to what you call the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you that you reached out to love us. We who are strangers and aliens to you. And you welcomed us and you met our needs by dying on a cross, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you came and you took hold of our hearts and you opened our eyes to see that we might believe. Help us to be like you. Help us to love people who are not like us. That they might come to know your love, that they might come to know your grace, that they might ultimately come to know the salvation that is for them in Jesus. Lord, help us not just to think and talk about hospitality. Help us to practice it. God, help us to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Kristen, Heather had Brennan and I over for dinner a couple weekends ago, and I had to laugh because I didn't bring flowers or any food. <laughs> and we cleaned up a lot, i got to tell you. <clears throat> Oh, let's just close this service and let's stand and worship and turn our focus to Jesus. And I, 
Such an incredible message, Chris. Thank you so much. Yeah. I just have to say as well that as we have, you know, been new at this church, we have truly felt the love of God through so many people here. And so just thank you for your incredible welcoming spirit and the hospitality that you've shown to us. Let's praise his name.
it's quite a uh, statement that we've just made that God is with us, forming us into his people. It's an amazing thing. God with us. You know, when we invite people into that, we get to shine, as Paul wrote in Philippians, like stars in a dark universe, the light in the midst of darkness. And people will see and they will understand and they will know. So can I just ask you to go from here to serve the needs of other people? Jesus said, if you lose your life, ultimately find it. Greatest joy is, is found in living not for ourselves but for others. Go do it in any way God provides for you this week so that the love and the truth and the reality of Jesus might become known in this world. He goes with you. He fills you by his spirit. He commissions and calls. So go live for him in all you do. God bless you. See you soon. everyone just uh, one comment that I forgot to mention to you and I let everybody know already in the atrium but this coffee time is in honor of our three retiring elders and there's cake there for you if you like and uh, we'll just ask you to take time to thank Bar Bill and Nancy and Barb as well for all they've done thank you
done for me
morning, church. How are you? Are you happy to be in the house of God today? And are you ready to worship? <laughs> Let's stand and sing. Put your hands
and before you sit down, would you turn to someone nearby, especially maybe somebody you don't know, share God's love that is here, and uh, greet one another. Thank you, everyone. We're going to send our kids almost right away today to their children's ministry time, and we just uh, hope and pray that they can have a fantastic uh, time learning about Christ and what it means to have a relationship with Him, follow Him. I want to welcome everybody here today. It's fantastic that you've come, and uh, I hope that uh, we together can bless God, because that's what first and foremost we're here for, and I hope that as we bless God, uh, that He will bless us and that uh, we'll know his goodness here today. So welcome, especially if you're new to us at IPC. We often have people come here just to kind of connect and check us out and try to get to know us a little bit, and if that's you, you're really welcome, and, and um, we're glad you've come. I'm going to ask uh, uh, Don McKay to come and just share a bit of an exciting update on our refuge ministry and some of our fundraising uh, initiatives of recent weeks. Great. Thank you for the opportunity to update you because you have been an integral part of what's been happening here and part of our missional community, IPC Refuge.